Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. Matthew chapter 5. Again, we're going to be looking at 5, 21 through 26. As you're, uh, as you're turning there, I want to share with you a story. Uh, this is a story of a woman who, uh, who was traveling in between flights uh, at the airport. She stopped and grabbed a small package of cookies. And she found her gate, and she sat down, and she started working on her laptop. And as she was working, she became aware of a rustling noise. And she peered over the top of her laptop, only to discover a well-dressed stranger helping himself to her cookies. Not wanting to make a scene, she leaned over and took a cookie herself. A minute or two passed, then came more rustling. He just kept helping himself to more and more of her cookies. And after a while, uh, they came to the end of the package, and he had the audacity to take one of the cookies, break it in half, and slide a half over to her before eating the rest and walking away. Now, the woman was furious. She was overwhelmed with anger. And as she uh, had her flight called, she got up to go to the gate. And when she reached into her handbag to get her purse, I mean her phone out, uh, she realized her shock and embarrassment that there in her purse was her unopened package of cookies. Now, if, if that didn't land for you, turn to your neighbor and say, can you explain what just happened to that lady at the airport? So the point of this story, right, is that we all experience anger. And a lot of times, I think, we experience anger that is not necessarily justified. But we all experience anger, and it's easy, I think, to experience anger that feels justified and even anger that condemns others. But kind of coming to terms with our own anger is a tall task. And so that's what Jesus is going to invite us into uh, this morning, is, is to take a long, hard look at the anger within our own lives. And I think this is a particularly important in our cultural moment because we are living in a cultural moment where outrage is the mode of the day. Uh, we are living in a moment where our culture seems almost addicted to outrage. In fact, outrage has become so commonplace that we actually become angry when someone is not outraged about the thing we're outraged about. It's everywhere. As one editorialist put it, some part of us loves feeling right and loves feeling wronged. There's something addictive about it. And so the question I think we want to ask in, in the face of anger, which we all experience, is when is our anger justified and when is it not? Uh, or is there a good anger, and is there a bad anger, you could say? And so I think we come uh, aware, self-aware enough, that when we encounter Jesus' words here, it's fascinating that this is the first ethical issue he chooses to take on in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I've thought about that a lot this week, and I think it's because anger is such a ubiquitous problem, and it underlies so many other issues in our life. And Jesus knows, he knows better than we do, how, struggle, how real the struggle is that we have with anger. 
And so he's going to approach this issue of anger. So first we just want to talk about Jesus and his approach to anger here. What does Jesus have to say here in Matthew chapter 5 about anger? Jesus says, look with me, in chapter 5, 21 and 22, he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus takes an obvious command, one of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not murder. And before we can raise our hands as those who have not murdered, all of a sudden Jesus amplifies that command to include everyone who has ever been angry, and our hands quickly come back down. So Jesus extends the law, in other words, beyond evil acts like murder, actually to include evil thoughts the things that we don't even say, and yet that we feel and we entertain in our hearts and our minds. The truth is we all have those kinds of thoughts and feelings. We all get angry. Jesus here is not saying all anger is wrong, though. We shouldn't misunderstand what he is actually teaching us. Anger is most often an involuntary response to a perceived wrong. And the Bible is full of examples of God's anger or his wrath. Jesus himself expresses anger uh, with hypocrisy. The famous scene in the temple might come to mind, uh, as well as frustration with his own disciples. There is such a thing as righteous anger. But what is righteous anger? Righteous anger might be defined as this, as God's loving response to sin and evil. God's loving response to sin and evil includes anger. It's an expression of his love in a broken world marred by sin and death. It says, this is wrong, and as a good and holy God, I am against it. It's rooted in his mercy. It holds out hope for justice. God's anger takes aim at anything that harms what he loves. That's us. That's you and me and his creation. C.S. Lewis uh, once put it very poetically. He said, righteous anger is the fluid love bleeds when you cut it. And so we can express righteous anger like Jesus did, like God does, when there's a good reason to be angry. And there are good reasons to be angry. When children are abused, when people are victimized, when there's betrayal, there are times when loving, the loving response is anger. And so righteous anger sees something wrong in the world and moves us to do something about it. It is uh, unloving, in other words, to never get angry. And yet, and yet, Jesus gives a strong word of caution here about anger. He's saying, be very, very careful when it comes to anger. He wants us to realize, in other words, that anger is like playing with fire, (laughs) It's why in Ephesians 4, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. The assumption is you will experience anger, but in your anger, do not let it lead you to sin. Anger, you might think about, is like a weapon. It can be used for good, but it can easily uh, do a lot of damage in the wrong hands. Anger begets anger. Righteous anger can easily and quickly become self-righteous anger. If God himself is slow to anger, how much slower should we be?
So, all that to say, Jesus is putting his finger on the fact that we do have an anger problem. There's righteous anger, but there's also self-righteous anger. This is the problem. The problem is that in a fallen world, we as fallen, imperfect, sinful beings can actually get angry for the wrong reasons and demonstrate that anger in the wrong ways. We get angry when we get hurt. We get angry when our ego gets bruised. We get angry when we don't get the respect we deserve, right? When we, when we need to be right, we get angry out of jealousy, out of fear, out of a desire to be in control. We get angry when we feel like life is not being fair right now. And that kind of anger is not righteous anger. That kind of anger is rooted in self. It's self-righteous anger. And Jesus says it's a serious problem. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, whoever has this kind of anger, and then he goes on to say how it might express itself. For example, who insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. In other words, Jesus says insults are an offense worthy of being heard in his day by the Supreme Court, right? I mean, it's hyperbole. It's over the top, right? It's extreme. What is Jesus saying? Surely not insulting someone in traffic is deserving of being hauled in front of the Supreme Court. And yet he says the same thing about having a heart of contempt, calling someone a fool. He says, you, if you do this, you are leading yourself into divine judgment. And so Jesus has strong words Especially, especially if we pause right now and just think back over the words that we've spoken this week and the thoughts that we've had this week, if we bring them under this teaching of Jesus, it should make us uncomfortable. Otherwise, we're not hearing him. We should be moved to say, Jesus, you can't be serious about this. And yet he is. He's very serious about it. Jesus says anger is actually the root of murder. That's how serious he is about this problem of anger. It's like a fungus, right, that's left to grow in the dark and slowly but surely poisons us. It leaks out in sarcastic comments. It leaks out in eye rolls. It leaks out in road rage, a snap at your children in a heated moment. It leaks out like poison, it hurts us and it hurts others. And so Jesus wants us to take this anger issue seriously, very seriously. The remedy for our self-righteous anger is Jesus himself. Jesus actually gives us a secret weapon, right, in our battle with self-righteousness. And that weapon is the cross. It's the cross of Christ. When hanging on the cross, Jesus didn't express his right to be angry with those who unjustly and mockingly put him on the cross. Instead, he showed mercy. He said over and over to his enemies, forgiveness. Father, forgive, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He forgave his enemies, and he forgives us. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we learn a surprising truth about God that his anger is spectacularly unfair. God's anger is spectacularly unfair. Unfair in this way. We don't actually get what we deserve. 
We don't get what we deserve. The anger that our sin deserves falls instead on Jesus at the cross. Jesus willingly became sinless, the sinless object of God's wrath, and we instead become objects of his mercy, covered by the blood of Christ on the cross. On the cross, God not only dealt with the consequences of sin, he disarmed the power of sin. Through faith in Christ, we receive a new spirit that transforms us within and gives us freedom and the power to live in light of God's love. We are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to self-righteous anger. Instead, we are set free for life in the Spirit. Jesus invites us to leave, in other words, our anger at the cross. Our self-righteous anger is disarmed at the cross. We are humbled when we realize we don't get what we deserve, but rather God has acted in love to forgive us. And so by the cross, God condemns and disarms the powers of evil, reconciles us to him, fills us with his transforming spirit, and sends us out in gratitude to live as agents of his mercy. That's what happens at the foot of the cross. There's a great Anglican prayer that's used by the Kenyan church that came to mind uh, this week. And it says this. It says, all our problems, the priest says, and then all the people say, we send to the cross of Christ. All our difficulties, and the people say, we send to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works, we send to the cross of Christ. Because all our hopes, we set on the risen Christ. And so we can say, Jesus is inviting us to pray, all my anger, I send to the cross of Christ. We can send our anger to the cross of Christ. And so in light of the cross, the question is, how do we actually deal with this in the middle of everyday life? It's great to realize that. It's true. It's powerful. But how do we live this out? And this is why I love Jesus here gets so practical. He's so brilliant as a teacher, so multi-layered in his teaching here when he moves to this question of, okay, but how do we live this out, Jesus, as members of your kingdom, life in you? And he says this, verse 23, look there with me. He says, so if... You're offering, for example, your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So just want to highlight a couple things Jesus says here. First thing I think we can note that he says here is to slow down in our anger. In our anger, slow down. It's helpful to realize that Jesus here is preaching not in Jerusalem, but where? You remember where the Sermon on the Mount takes place? By the Sea of Galilee. Some 80 miles north of where the altar that he's talking about actually resides, in the temple. And so when he says, you go to the temple and you're there and you realize, oh man, my neighbor and I, we got this thing and I haven't resolved that. And he says, go to your neighbor and then come back. Do you realize what he's saying? (laughs) He's saying, go 80 miles to the temple, get there and realize I got to go 80 miles back and then come 80 miles again to worship. In other words, Jesus, again, is going over the top. He's exaggerating to make the point. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying if you walked 80 miles to go worship and when you get there, you realize you need to seek forgiveness from your brother, you need to stop and be reconciled before you continue anything else, even worship. Wow. 
In our anger, I think we are so often quick to respond or react instead of actually respond. In other words, we, we, we tend to kind of react quickly and then move on. And what Jesus is encouraging us to do here is to, to, to slow down, right? It's simple, but it's important. When you're angry, slow down. It, it's, it's 80 miles is like counting to 10 on steroids, right? Slow down, count to 10, count to 100, whatever you need to do to slow down in your anger. I get angry. I get angry with Langley. I get angry with my kids. I get angry with some of you. Not all of you, some of you. I get angry. We all get angry with other people. And I'm pretty sure, I was thinking about this, I'm pretty sure if I walked 80 miles, if I had to walk 80 miles to talk to you about how angry I am with you, I'm pretty sure at least, at least, I might not be as angry as when I started. (laughs) At least. And hopefully I would have had time to pause and to pray and realize the cause of my anger, probably not justified. To realize my need for the cross and for his mercy and that that would have come into view over 80 miles. And so, I don't know, maybe it's just a little rule that can help us, you know, the 80-mile rule. Right? You don't have to walk 80 miles, but maybe, maybe take 80 seconds, <laughs> maybe take 80 minutes just to slow down in your anger. David Pallison, in his uh, great book called Good and Angry, which I highly recommend uh, to everyone, suggests some really helpful questions that I think can help us slow down when we get angry. And so I just want to throw them out to you, and you can jot these down and, and maybe think through them this week as you get angry, when you get angry. And the questions are, what do I want right now, and what are my unmet expectations? Again, very practical. What do I want? What are my unmet expectations? What are my motives here? Why is this so important to me? What is the significance of what has happened? What am I afraid of? What is this other person that I'm in conflict with actually experiencing? I think if we would slow down and think through questions like this, it would help bring us, again, to the foot of the cross. So when you're angry, slow down. Second observation from what Jesus teaches here is be quick to admit when you're wrong. Be quick to admit when you're wrong. In our anger, we can easily dig in. In a twisted way, again, we, we like to feel good about being right and being wronged. There's something about this victimhood identity that's rampant in our culture right now and this self-righteousness that we're, it just feeds it. And so we can slip into this victimhood identity where we're the hero or we're the victim, and those are the only two options. But usually, if we'll calm down a bit, again, 80-mile rule, we can begin to see what's required to make things right with the other person. We can gain perspective. We can see our part We can see where we need to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus says when you realize you're wrong, you'll leave your gift at the altar. It's that important. It's that important. Stop worshiping. Walk 80 miles. Go make it right. Jesus says do it and do it now. Paul says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do it and do it now. It's that important. Why? Because our relationship with others is directly related to our relationship with God. 
The two are interconnected, inseparable. We cannot sincerely and freely worship and honor God if we are knowingly not right with others. You cannot do it. So my guess is, this morning in a room this size, that there's people in this room who need to seek out other people even in this room and seek forgiveness. Maybe there's something that's been eating at you between you and your spouse, between you and your kids, between you and your parents, between you and a friend, a coworker, and you have not addressed it. This isn't about you demanding an apology, just to be clear. It's not the same, okay? This is about you owning your stuff and asking forgiveness. And Jesus says, if you're aware of that right now, you need to go and take care of it now. Jesus doesn't want us to hold on to our anger, to hold on to that fungus, to let that poison percolate and resentment build. Act and do it quickly. Make amends. Finally, Jesus says in verse 25, gives us another illustration. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to him with, uh, with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out, of, uh, get out until you've paid the last penny. What is Jesus talking about here? Um, I think he's making two more points that are helpful. Uh, so his point is consider the cost. Consider the cost of your anger. When it comes to anger, uh, there's a cost that all of us have to bear when we carry around this self-righteous anger. In Jesus' day, what he's pointing to is the fact that if you and a neighbor got into a conflict and you tried to work it out and you tried to work it out and tried to work it out and you couldn't work it out, you would agree to go to see the elders of your village. And they would basically kind of operate as a system of judgment. A, a judicial system. And what you would do is you would take the, your case and you would present it to them, but there was a risk inherent in doing that. Because if there was any debt involved, particularly, and the elders decided against you, you could be thrown in basically what's debtor's prison or, or some kind of indentured servitude until you paid off that debt if the judgment came against you. Now, earning money in prison in Jesus' day was near impossible. And so what Jesus is saying is be very careful because you could end up in prison for a long, long time until you paid the very last penny of your debt. What's Jesus' point? What does this have to do with anger? What he's saying is don't let your anger lead you to saying or doing things that are foolish and will cost you. And I would say cost others. Don't let your anger even imprison you is what he's saying. How many times have you said something in anger that you instantly wish you could take back? How many times, how many times has someone said or done something in anger that's hurt you and you cannot forget it? There's a cost. Our our self-righteous anger has a cost. It can do incredible damage and most often incredible damage to the people we love the most. When our anger takes over, we can say and do things to our spouse, our children, our parents, our friends that take years to recover from. 
Whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, I, I can't, Jesus says, don't call them that. <laughs> Those words are ridiculous. That proverb is not true. Words do incredible harm. In your anger, you can literally destroy other hearts and your own. So Jesus wants us to consider the cost of our anger. And then lastly, I think that what he's pointing to uh, on the positive side of that equation is he invites us to pursue peace. He invites us to pursue peace. Count the cost and instead pursue peace. Stanley Hauerbos says Christians ought to be a people committed to peace in a world at war, a spiritual war, people of spiritual peace. In a culture consumed with outrage, our response ought to be different. We ought to be like God when we worship. Those verses we read that appear over and over and over. Did you know Exodus 24, those verses about God's mercy and his grace, being slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. And so we, who are called to be like Christ in the world, are invited to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, merciful and gracious. Jesus' prayer for his church was unity, a unity that reflects the heart of God and the oneness of the triune God. His desire is for us to be reconciled to God and to one another, and his command was for us to love our enemies. The way to deal with our anger is not to suppress it or deny it or to vent it, but to take it to the cross and ask God to help us know and seek peace with one another. We all struggle with anger. So what should that mean for us living life together? It ought to mean that constantly what our community is marked by is reconciliation. There ought to be reconciliation breaking out all over our community all the time because we're living into this, this call for us to be like Christ in the world, people of peace and that that would be a testimony to the world of the power of the gospel and the power of Christ in us. So to close, I just want to encourage you again. I think Jesus gives us some very practical uh, encouragement in light of the cross to slow down, to be quick to admit we're wrong, uh, to consider the cost, and to pursue peace. But I want to encourage us in light, again, of the cross, just one that... We all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. I don't care if you're the nicest person in here. You struggle with anger. We all struggle with anger. And so it's one thing to know all this, and it's another thing to actually respond like Christ in the moment. Jesus knows that, and he wants to help us. He knows that we can't do any of this on our own. And so he invites us to be patient with one another and patient with ourselves to remember we can't give or receive forgiveness without the cross, that we can't be free of our self-righteousness without his Holy Spirit working in us to change us, and that that's a process that takes time and effort. Perhaps a place to start for all of us is to ask God to help us do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that he would actually help us in our anger turn to the cross and become people of peace and reconciliation. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, today we, we ask that you, you would help us let go of our anger. Lord, you know the things that we're bearing in our own souls this morning. And Lord, this is good news. 
This is good news for the self-righteous, for the sinner, for the broken, for the proud. This is good news, Lord, because you invite us to come to the cross where you dealt with all of that. And so, Lord, it is forgiven and the power of it is broken and we can live free of our self-righteous anger. And so, Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would break any bonds that hold us in anger. And, Lord, that you would free us to see our place to go and be reconciled. And, Lord, that we would do that and we would do it quickly because we know that you have called us to be a people of peace because we have been reconciled to you by the cross. We pray all that and give thanks to you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.